Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. It is good to see you all. Welcome, welcome. We're in week two of our Philippian series titled Fighting for Joy. Pastor Christian kicked us off last week. This is a letter infused with the theme of joy. It's infused with a call to joy, the importance of joy, and the need for joy And it's repeatedly issued over and over again. No matter the situation, Paul preaches in this book about joy. Uh, Pastor Christian again introduced us to these themes so passionately and, and articulately last week. Showing us Paul's love for the people of Philippi and their fellowship. He showed us a little bit about Paul's prayer life and his title as a servant of the Lord. And he challenged us to love other believers accordingly, to love them well. We're going to continue that theme and thought this morning. Listen, over the next six or so weeks, as we dive into Philippians, listen, bring your Bibles from home. This is an incredible time to like take notes in your Bible, to kind of circle, underline, highlight, write down questions. And as we dive into Philippians, like this will help you when you read Philippians later. Hopefully you do read Philippians later. And who knows, five years from now, What something is said here is going to speak to your life in that moment. It's going to help you understand context and future readings of this book. Listen, don't miss a week. Make it like a concerted effort to be here every single week of this series so you don't miss out. This is an incredible book study, and it's going to be awesome. Don't, listen, don't be a passive attender either. Be engaged. Be an active listener. Um. Uh, Look forward to understanding Scripture better. Be a student of the Word. So, you guys ready to be students of the Word this morning? Yeah. Well, let's do it. Let's do it. The main takeaway this morning, and if you've noticed, there's a whole page of notes and blanks for you guys to stay engaged and to fill out. Do you guys get those in the back? Yeah, they're right there. I got got a couple. Got a couple. They're right back the door. You can stand up now if you want and go grab one. Um, All sorts of notes to fill in. The main takeaway is this, in the face of uncertainty, live in the hope and the mission of God's kingdom. One more time. In the face of uncertainty, live in the hope and the mission of God's kingdom. I'm going to start talking about context a little bit because I think it's always important to start with context. Anytime you read anything in the Bible, especially in the New Testament and some of these epistles, it's important to know who's writing what why they're writing this and who they're writing it to and what's going on. Uh, Paul, as we talked about last week, Paul is in prison. uh, And um, some scholars believe he's writing um, while he's in prison in Rome, um, around 60 AD, close to the end of his life. Other scholars believe that he wrote this, um, uh, he was in prison in Ephesus, which is kind of in Asia. Mostly because in Philippians 1.26, he speaks about coming to see them Again, and, and previously when he's in Rome, he doesn't really have any intention of going back to Greece. And so that kind of passage, along with a couple others, we'll talk about that a little bit later, speak to kind of this camp that Paul was in Ephesus um, when he wrote this letter. Um, and, and Paul had planted a church in Philippi, one of the first churches Paul has planted. And you can read about his time in Philippi in Acts 16. So maybe a good note to make in your Bible Um, or your phone, is somewhere along the first page of Philippians, you write Acts 16, so you know to go back and read about Paul's time on his missionary journeys. Paul traveled all over 
um, Europe and Asia, planting churches. And this is the result of one of those church plants, was this church in Philippi. Um, Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia, um, kind of in more modern-day northern Greece is kind of where, where Paul's writing to here. Philippi was filled with retired Roman soldiers, and Philippi was known for their staunch nationalism. And thankfully, we don't know what it's like to minister to staunch nationalists here today. Thankfully, that could be very difficult. Um, little tongue-in-cheek there. Uh, but Philippi remained a very vibrant community of faith after Paul left. As a matter of fact, this church was near and dear to Paul's heart. One of, one of the churches that, that Paul loved the most, that, that brought Paul the most joy. Um, prior to this letter, so Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. There's a handful of letters that Paul wrote while in prison throughout his time. In, in Philippians, this, this letter is one of them. And uh, so whenever you were in prison in the ancient Near East, it was just a little bit different than um, prisons that we know today. This is from N.T. Wright, an Anglican bishop. And no one tell Pastor Christian, this guy's still alive. I know Pastor Christian likes quoting guys that are dead. This guy's still alive, an Anglican bishop. He's a prominent New Testament theologian. And uh, some even would say he's like the leading Pauline theologian. So if someone has studied the most about Paul and, and, the, and all that, there would be this guy. This is what he kind of says about being in prison in the ancient Near East. Uh, when people were put in prison, they weren't normally given food by their captives. They relied on friends and family helping them, bringing them items to live by. Since Paul couldn't continue his tent-making business in prison, Paul had to rely on this exact thing. Paul was supported by people from a different country, raising money, and then sending one of their own on a dangerous journey to deliver it to someone in prison. And a little bit later in Philippians, we see that they send Ephroditus to Paul, bringing him a gift of money and resources. We talk about fellowship and love like Pastor Christian talked about last week. What better than someone from another country sending one of their own from their church with money and resources to help someone live in prison? prison. Now we kind of see why Paul is so happy, because he has food, and he has stuff, and it's from someone that he deeply cares about. That's where Paul's, uh, Paul is so happy. One of the reasons Paul's writing this letter is to say thank you. This is kind of like a thank you card. It's a thank you note. Now, can I speak to thank you cards just a little bit? Can I just talk about, I am not the biggest fan of thank you notes. Now, I am a big fan of being grateful and showing gratitude and, and being thankful. Huge fan of that. Thank you cards, though. Just not, not the biggest fan. And I think it's more along, like, with the social contract of a thank you card, right? Maybe this, like, obligation. Mallory Rubin, she's someone from The Ringer. It's like a podcast network. Um, she says this about thank you cards. It perpetuates a cycle of obligation, right? It's like this is a burden of obligation. So... Do you send a thank you card for other thank you cards? Like, at what point does this, like, expectation or cycle stop? Do people give gifts waiting for a thank you card? And is that really the right heart of giving a gift and showing someone that you love them? I don't know. Again, huge fan of gratitude. Write personal letters, email follow-ups. Yes. I, and I've done that. I do that. When I think of someone, send them a note. It's just sometimes thank you cards. It's just maybe I'm just not good at it. I don't know. Plus, my handwriting's awful. 
Uh, I don't even know if it's legend. Anyway, uh, that's not what we're, you guys are here to talk about. Um, anyways, Philippians is just this thank you note of sorts, this thank you card. And th- this letter is, is a thank you card for their partnership, for their fellowship. That's much deeper than just a love that, hey, I love you and you love me. This fellowship, this partnership has other implications, this financial implication. Remember, Paul's in prison, can't continue his job, doesn't have resources, money. Um, and sometimes that, that our current word of fellowship doesn't always lend, lend itself to. It really paints a different picture when we read Philippians 1, 5, where Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel. Paints a different picture when we read verse 7. All of you share in God's grace with me. Paul and this church he planted in Philippi are are invested emotionally, spiritually, and financially in one another. That's the love that Pastor Christian talked about last week. That's the kind of community that Pastor Christian challenged this fellowship with last week. And that's the context of our joy that we find Paul writing in this morning. This fellowship that Paul and this church in Philippi share. We're going to read Philippians 1, 12 through 26 this morning. We're going to read it twice and I'm going to explain that to you in a few moments. But as we look at these passages, we're going to look at it in three parts. All right, We're going to look at Paul's perspective, like how he views his situation. We'll look at really Paul's problem, kind of like his current situation, uh, his problem. And then Paul's promise. And I think collectively looking at this section of Scripture this way will help us kind of get an idea of Paul's point of view. And give us, I think, a clear call to response this morning, which um, I'm excited about as well. And then finally, take us to our main takeaway, that in the face of uncertainty, live in the hope and the mission of God's kingdom. We're going to read this passage in the NIV, and then the moment I'm done, we're going to read it again in a different um, translation, which is something that I like to do when I'm studying Scripture. So this, is, um, this isn't really a topical sermon series, uh, right? Like we did a series called Encountering God, and we did a series about the radical claims of Christ, right, where you kind of can... You, you, you topically pick what we're going to preach on. This is a little bit kind of just like by the book, bum, 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 kind of like an exegetical thing. And so pulling those kind of like applications and those like our response um, is, is a lot of fun. And it's going to help us kind of shape what that looks like here. Um, we're going to read it from the NIV and then we're going to read it from the message. And sometimes translations, reading different translations of scripture can make it just a little help make a little more sense, and then we're going to pray, all right? But so here we go. Philippians 1, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you um, on your phones, 12 through 26, and we're going to read it in the message. Here we go. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel Without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do not the latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can um, stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have su- sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. We're going to read that again in the message, which is going to be behind me. i got to read it from back here. Um, because I only have the NIV. So here we go. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everywhere else, too, found out that I'm in jail because of the Messiah. That piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But the others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition, and so the worse it gets for me, the better, they think, for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed, so I just cheer them on. And I'm going to keep that celebration going because I know how it's going to turn out. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, Everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. As long as I'm alive in this body, there's good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which I'd choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you are going through, I am sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around a while, companion to you as your growth and joy in this life of trusting God continues. You can start looking forward to a great reunion when I come visit you again. We'll be praising Christ, enjoying each other. I think that's the last slide. Is this the thumbs up last slide? All right, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, thank you for this perspective, for this joy. Um, Thank you for Paul, and thank you for being here this morning. We just invite you into this place right now, Father. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. That's what we want. We want your presence here. We need your presence here. We love you, Father, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's look at Paul's perspective. I think that's going to help us shape our perspective this morning. We're, and Paul's perspective is kind of the first chunk of this narrative piece in verses 12 through 19. Again, Paul is in prison and can't continue the work that he's doing, planting churches, helping the churches he's planted, visiting um, all these other fellowships. Um, and, and Paul, uh, we're going to ascribe that Paul's here in prison in Ephesus 
Um, and, and as he is in prison, Ephesus was becoming a major center of Roman influence, actual a center of worship of the Roman emperor, right? And these prison guards were used to this message. They were used to hearing the, the, the gospel of Caesar, if you may, that their Caesar, their emperor, that, that their Caesar is the one that brings peace. Their Caesar is the one that provides. Their Caesar is the one that brings salvation to the world, right? And, and Paul's announcing a different gospel, a new king, and he's now summoning everyone, everywhere, man, woman, child, to kneel before him. And what Paul's noticing is this. Paul's noticing that his courage and boldness in this declaration is empowering others in Ephesus to do the same. This has encouraged and inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about the gospel of Jesus more openly in the face of the gospel of Caesar. Paul is seeing inroads of faith conversations and Paul is seeing kingdom advancement because of him being in jail um, with the palace guards and with other believers in Ephesus. Paul's telling the church in Philippi, this isn't all a loss. Look, look on the bright side. See, my imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. And at the end of the day, no matter the situation, no matter the context, that's what matters. The gospel is priest. Victory is here and rejoice. And this is Paul's perspective, which is pretty remarkable, right? It takes us to our main, our main takeaway. In the face of uncertainty, live in the hope and the mission of God's kingdom. Now, this is a popular passage that people use to justify unhealthy or damaging means of ministry. What matters? The gospel is being preached. And, and that's not Paul's heart here. Paul's not saying throw a massive rager to reach the people that need Jesus. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. Paul is sharing this to encourage the church in Philippi, and to encourage us as well. You know, we get discouraged. It wasn't in Paul's plan to, to get arrested. Paul had things he was going to do, places he was going to go, and all that came to a stop. And it can get discouraging when our plans are wrecked, right? It can get discouraging when things don't happen the way that you expect, when things are destroyed. We get upset. Well, what good is it now? What a waste. And Paul here is truly echoing his words from Romans, his, his, his magnum opus in 828. It says, God uses every situation for good for those who love him. Paul knows this verse, believes this verse, because he lives this verse. It's not every good situation. It's not every easy situation, but it's also every hard situation, every sad situation, every unfortunate situation. God uses every situation for his good. That can be a challenging perspective. The art of seeing God's purposes working out through our problems and difficulties. How the king is being announced and we're still going to celebrate in the middle of those trials. In the face of uncertainty, live in the hope and the mission of God's kingdom. Second passage, second kind of section here is, is Paul's problems. In Philippians 20 and 24 here, Paul is unsure of his fate. He has no clue what is going to happen to him. And he's writing this letter as a thank you card. Uh, but also to, to tell the church in Philippi, hey, two things are going to happen here. And I don't know which one is going to happen. One is I'm going to be released. And if that's the case, hey, I'm going to come and see you. Or 
I'm going to be executed. And if that's the case, don't worry about that either because I'm going to be worshiping with Jesus. But if I am released, if I do survive this current imprisonment, then it's going to be better for you because there's more work for me to do. If I'm freed, I will visit you again. There are more churches for me, Paul, to plant. There are more Gentiles to reach. I'm going to be able to help other new fellowships and communities. If I'm released, it's going to be better for everybody else than me. Remember, church, God has called um, Paul to be the um, apostle to the Gentiles, right? He, he's actually appointed by the disciples. And maybe another note in your Bible is make a note that says Acts 15, which is this really crazy, unique um, passage where Paul meets with the disciples. And is Paul in trouble? Is Paul not in trouble? Are the disciples mad? It's, a, it's this unique, awkward look at some like crazy elder board meeting. Acts 15, it's fascinating. Um, but the disciples actually anoint and appoint Paul to go take the message to everyone who's not Jewish, which, which is us. And Paul says, if I survive this imprisonment, it's for everyone else's benefit. Or, if I don't survive this imprisonment, I'll be sentenced to death. Which, friends, it's going to be better for me because I'll be with the Lord. So don't be upset or sad people in Philippi, if you hear that I have perished, because I'll be celebrating and rejoicing with the Lord. And I know a lot of us are looking forward to that day. Amen. Amen. And, and it's not a desire that, um, that Paul takes his own life, okay? It's not that he's terminally depressed here and longing for a quick way out. That's not Paul's perspective either. This letter, as we're going to talk about, is full of joy and energy and life and zeal, and Paul's love for the work and call on his life. This isn't a death wish either. Paul isn't wishing to die, but more it's a desire to be in the presence of the Lord. Paul would prefer to be with the Lord. Um, and, and if we were to kind of do a little bit more digging here in the New Testament, um, it, it's, you guys ever seen the movie Tenet? It's this weird Christopher Nolan sci-fi movie where it's like you're going forward in time and then back, and then you're going back while you move forward in time. It's, it's super weird. Um, but that's kind of where we're at right now because Paul is writing to a church that he planted. He's writing to them. They're going to receive it in the future, but he's in Ephesus, okay? And we can read about what happened in Ephesus. Maybe, so you have an Acts 16 note in Philippians that talks about when he planted this church, possibly in Philippi. We have Acts 15, where he was called to the Gentiles and called to go and plant churches. And then make a note, Acts 19 in your Bibles, because this is about Paul's time in Asia, in Ephesus, when he maybe could have been put in jail. And Acts 19 tells us this story, that there was this riot in the city, um, and the riot, and the and the riot was uh, eventually quieted down by the city officials, but the word of God was already preached, and Pandora's box was already opened, and what Paul preached was the same message: was a resurrected Jesus that was divisive there as it is everywhere else, and it is as life changing there as it was everywhere else, and it got people talking, it got businesses buzzing, um, because the gospel of Christ is is radical. Um, and it, it could be while he was in this Ephesian imprisonment that he writes this letter to the church. And, 
And kind of while he's in this prison here, Paul has this nervous breakdown. We, we wouldn't really know it from reading Philippians, but we'd have to kind of find another piece of the puzzle in 2 Corinthians. I told you guys, it's just kind of like back and forth, back and forth. When Paul writes a letter to, to the uh, church in, in Corinth, the second time he talks about his imprisonment in Ephesus. So now we're in Philippians talking about Ephesus, and now we're reading in Corinthians about his imprisonment in Ephesus, and this is fascinating, and it, it paints a picture that, that I want to talk. We're actually going to read um, this 2 Corinthians passage. It's in the first, the first chapter, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. I want you to listen to just how different of a message this is communicating than what we read in Philippians. The Philippians full of joy, right? What we just read was Paul's like, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah, whoa, it doesn't matter. Don't worry. But listen to how he communicates his experience in Ephesus here. We're in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. It says this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Okay, okay. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Well, this isn't joyful. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. It kind of sounds like his situation in in, Philip, in, in Ephesus here. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by our prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. It got to a point where Paul thought he was going to die. He was going to be killed. Paul's own spirits reached such this low ebb that he felt that death uh, it, it, was, it was going down to his heart and mind. Like, death had reached his very soul. And j- just because our scripture here in Philippians paints this cheerful picture of joy doesn't mean it's how Paul always felt. And that's important to hear that this morning. Just because Paul's communicating this, this message and hope of joy doesn't mean that's how Paul always felt. Listen, Paul's belief, listen, listen to this, Paul's belief never wavered. Actually, his belief was strengthened through these awful experiences, through these hard times, through these times that felt like our soul had reached the point of death. His belief never wavered. His feelings changed, and that's okay. Paul can feel all the feelings that he feels as long as it doesn't impact his belief, right? Learning to distinguish between belief and feeling, church, it's a part of Christian maturity, because there are going to be some really, really, really hard days. There are going to be some days where we read 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, and we're like, wow, that, that was me yesterday. Or that's me right now. How does Paul word it? Um, the troubles we experience, we're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is Paul's, Paul's emo phase right here, right? That's how we feel. And it's hard. But Paul's belief never wavered. Paul's belief never wavered. I I think some of us, and I'm I'm guilty, some of us allow our feelings to impact our belief. We allow our temporary moments, 
or bad situations to shake our faith. We allow what's going on in the present to impact the foundation that we promised we would never leave or never not believe or, or never change. We allowed whatever moments in front of us to seem bigger, badder, and larger than the rock that God is. Not to confuse you anymore, but Paul also wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. <laughs> and he speaks about this exact thing. Ephesus 4, 12 through 16. Listen to this, and it's, it's all connected. Paul preaches the same message, and, and it's just remarkable. This is in, Eph- in Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. It says this. To equip, people for, uh, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. This is what Paul's talking about. Right? We're not going to be infants tossed by the waves, by every blowing wind, by every bad day that comes. It's not going to impact or change our belief. In the face of uncertainty, live in the hope and the mission of God's kingdom. Paul didn't let his feeling dictate his belief. If he's executed, it would be gained because his life is the Messiah. He would be with Jesus, and that's great for Paul. But Paul is optimistic that he'll be released because he knows he has more work to do. Because there are more churches to plant. There are more issues to lead through, which would be better for other people. There's this, um, another living author, sorry, Pastor Christian, by the guy, his name is Dean um, Mofshevitz. He wrote this book about storytelling, Pixar Storytelling, if you are interested in writing stories. And it's a really small book, and so you feel really accomplished when you read it because it's really small and it's great. Um, he says this, he says this, death is an obstacle to all goals, but merely living is a dull goal, right? Just don't live, live on mission, live with purpose. We read Philippians 1, this passage here, Paul's living with purpose. If I die, that's great, I get to worship and be with the Lord, but if not, even better, because there's things I got to do. He is fine with either because he is defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. Paul's goal here is to convince the church in Philippi that whatever happens to him in prison, it won't mean everything went wrong. That's not what he wants them to think. He's assuring them in case they do receive news that he's been executed that he's ready for it and quite ready to embrace it and happy about it. Then we read about Paul's promise, right, 25 and 26. He says in 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And it's a confidence and a boldness uh, very similarly to the attitude that if you've been to our prayer ministry training that, that we talk about in there. It's, it's not a faith or a boldness rooted in pride, but a faith rooted in the promises of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul's living the humble boldness and confidence that comes from the Lord, this faith-empowered, longing to work tirelessly for the kingdom. N.T. Wright highlights that Paul seems to have this robust confidence in God's overruling power, even when everything seems to be going wrong. He says, God's going to complete his work in me. Why? 
because he lives and knows in the power of the resurrected Jesus. That's where Paul's confidence comes from. That's where Paul's faith comes from. Because Jesus, he too was falsely accused. He too suffered at the hands of wicked people. And God demonstrated still through the resurrection that God meant that for good. Jesus resurrected, that's Paul's story. Jesus resurrected, that's the church in Philippi's story. Jesus resurrected is the story of new converts in, in, in this Ephesian prison in Ephesus. Jesus resurrected is our story, church. No matter how fast I talk, it's your story too. All right? Someone's saying amen to that. <laughs> and what Paul is seeing played out in Ephesus, this advancement of the gospel, this good news, that the Philipp- this church here in Philippi, they're, they're going to be able to join in Paul's boldness. And we can join in Paul's boldness as well. In the face of uncertainty, live in the hope and the mission of God's kingdom.